On this podcast, you're going to be hearing some pretty terrible subject matter. We know what you're thinking. That's why we're here. Keep going. However, topics covered may cause emotional or physiological distress to listeners and discretion is advised. Sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Hello and welcome to That's Terrible. Keep going. I'm your co-host Casey Kay. And I'm Amy Kay and I'm a little bit sick at the moment, which is why I sound like a husky, Ooh. sexy man mm, of I don't your know dreams. About that. No, <laughs> I wish. Sounds pretty blocked up, but poor Greggy over there uh, has had COVID and then she got straight into another kind of sickness and she's just had a bad run. Mm, so I know my friend frenemy dan calls me just a soundboard for this podcast <laughs> so i probably will be a soundboard again today because <laughs> just some mm's and some ahs <laughs> yeah mm, mm. well and shout out to dan because he listens to us every week Ooh. so a big fan of dan That makes one of us. (laughs) Well, and hello to July, everyone, and to all of our new listeners that have joined us from Australia and New Zealand. We got a few more. That's exciting. Yeah. So shall we just dive into the first F of July? Yes, let's go. Well, a bit of a throwback, but taking us back to our Folia Do ep in June. Folia who? Yeah. I threatened that we'd have to do a New Zealand case. And I dog-eared a wild story for us to cover, and we're doing it today, and it's known as the Parker Hulme murder case. Ring any bells? No. No surprises there. Um, but this is speculated to be a strong case of folly ado amongst experts in the tri- like the true crime community and as well as like psychologist armchair experts type of thing. Okay. So just if you haven't listened to our folly ado episode, go back so that you can follow this as we run through it today. Mm, it is a curious concept. Isn't it? So why is the case called Parker and Hulme? Let's start with our perpetrators. First, with Pauline Avon Parker, also known as Pauline Reaper. So she was born on the 26th of May, 1938. And we'll refer to her by her last name for the case, just because all the names can get confusing later. So Parker is Pauline. Uh-huh. So Parker came from a working class background. Her parents were part-time house staff and gardeners, and they were employed by the University of Canterbury. Her father, Harbert Reaper, and her mother, Honora Parker, were living together but not actually married, um, hence the name Pauline Parker or Reaper as it gets changed between the articles. Yeah. As well as Honora also being Parker or Reaper in the different articles. Where did they live? Uh, in Christchurch in New Zealand. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Parker attended the local high school, Christchurch's girls' high school, and often found herself isolated because of her health problems. Turns out she actually suffered from a condition called osteomyelitis, which is a bone infection that impacts the arms and legs, especially of younger patients. That sounds painful. Yeah, and remember, this is the late 30s, so we don't have all that sort of modern medicine and modern treatment that we might have had to these young patients or older patients. So we'll post pictures on our Instagram later for this episode, but Parker, on describing her physically, she had darkish brown hair, roughly shoulder length, so with a bit of a wave in it, so that 1930s look, but a bit of a wave, 
darker eyes and even in black and white photos you get a depth of the darkness of her eyes um, and somewhat of a serious demeanor or stare about her and I would say a little bit more of the androgynous features remind me what that means again so like not neither masculine or feminine just sort of in the middle um and and sort of maybe not as soft as features that you'd you'd think of when you're thinking of a feminine Mm, look so like you sort of (laughs) strikingly gorgeous i probably wouldn't describe parker as that you wouldn't go there naturally so she's the one with the bone illness yes she's and so now i'll introduce the home part of this week's title of the case so juliet home was born in london and immigrated to new zealand in 1948 with her parents she was the daughter of henry home a physicist who became the rector of university of canterbury so a rector is like a kind of a senior official at a university or a place of education. I think lots of people know them more like in religious institutions, but it's just a title for a senior member at the uni. Okay. A little bit of an interesting history. He was also one of the key scientists in the creation of the Britain's um, H-bomb or their hydrogen bomb, which is pretty interesting. Ooh, fucking nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The university provided them accommodation and the family lived on a homestead at the university. And they were more so considered more comfortable middle class compared to Pauline Parker and her family. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, Holm also suffered from an illness as a child. In this case, Holm suffered from actually TB or tuberculosis and Mm -hmm. survived. So doctors had actually advised the family to live in warmer climates to sort of help with the disease or or her well-being. So she'd previously lived in the Caribbean and South Africa before moving to New Zealand. Okay. wouldn't that be colder climate? In New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, it's a little bit, but I guess we get a bit of they, – they still get a bit of a mild climate in New Zealand, though we always think New Zealand's cold because of their pretty famous snow regions. But they get a pretty mild weather over there. So. Well, you'd think the Caribbean would be warmer. I know. Yeah, I'm not, I can't speak for them, but a bit bizarre. Maybe, maybe it was a bit about the warmer climate and also the opportunity for the father to work over at the university maybe. Yeah. But, yeah, that's them. But you can almost paint the picture if both of these children were sick in the 30s growing up. Juliet was travelling a bit. So if we think back to Folly Do, they already have somewhat of an isolated upbringing and a bit of a difference to the other children that they were growing up with. So if mm. we're setting the scene, remembering the Folly Do, they might have a few, uh, you know, symptoms around them in terms of lifestyle and social like well-being. Like quite fitting in. Maybe. And just a little bit further removed, perhaps their care and their treatments took them away from normal um, socialising. Mm. Maybe. Speculation. Quickly describing Holmes' physical features, she was described much more of as a natural beauty with blue eyes, fairer hair, or more light brown and a little bit more softer femme features. You know what I'm going to say? What? The other chick's you and that chick's me. Don't say that. Well, um, spoiler alert, they're both crazy. So. <laughs> well, yeah, if it's fitting. <laughs> um, it was there, it, but it was in their high school um, days as teenagers that both Parker and Hulham would first meet. And it was noted in several articles that they bonded over their childhood illness, or at least it first became the basis of their initial connection. I can see that. Yeah, it makes sense. And they both would like sit out of PE or physical education and spend a fair bit of time together. According to Parker's account, she and Holm themselves both actually romanticised the idea of being sick or ill, which is bizarre. 
So now we talk about how their friendship intensified. It did not take long for their friendship to actually become extremely intense. So both lovers of fiction, they began to create their own stories that soon developed into their own deeply detailed fantasy life. They would craft stories, then write to one another in character as their creations. Probably That's probably popular. All right. Yeah, I guess that's okay. I mean, like creative writing, go for it, sis. But they revered, they revered actors and artists and even imagined their own religious systems devoid of Christianity where music and art were celebrated. Both girls hoped to sell their stories to Hollywood and be together as collaborators and friends for the rest of their lives. I don't think this is too far-fetched of a no, dream at the moment. It's it's not too bad. I guess in like late 30s, you're in high school, you're just having a, having a ball. Mm. But the intensity of their friendship concerned both families. Parker's parents were especially concerned that their closeness might actually be romantic or as they describe it, homosexuality. <gasps> How dare they back in the 1930s? (laughs) And yeah, and get this, which is really terrible, but it was actually a criminal act to be homosexual in New Zealand at the time, as well as being labelled a serious mental illness. So thankfully, New Zealand are way more progressive nowadays. Back then, it was not a good time to um, love the same sex. Um, But the LGBTQ plus people could be treated for home for homosexuality in institutions much as they were they were in many countries around the world so it wasn't just new zealand it was everywhere no they're they're quite progressive now yeah it's really good they're a good pillar for setting the sort of standard globally i think good on you new zealand who um but by this point in time both girls were so obsessed with one another that they would become withdrawn and even physically ill when separated now, that's when it starts to get a bit weird. Yeah. And this is where, you know, psych armchair, armchair experts like me are like, oh, my God, it's full of you do, you know. Um, but there are some pretty strong uh, symptoms there. Eventually, after Hulme's parents separated and her father resigned from his job as the university director, it was decided that Juliet Hume would be sent to live in South Africa with relatives. Mm. So... Um, this is I don't know how editorialized this is, but in different articles, it was said that Juliet's mother actually cheated with a younger boarder, like a person living on the university premises, and it was like a scandal. And the father was like, "Well, I'm out." Like a student, yeah, like a boarder oh, student, boy yeah. toy. Well, university age, so I don't think it was inappropriate, but still, in those standards, very inappropriate to be cheating in inside the marriage. Yes, yes. So, and Juliet chose to live with the father. Um, in that case. But this decision was supposedly related to her health as well, um, as in terms of like her being still recovering from tuberculosis and mm. living in a warmer climate like South Africa. As well as the her friend? Well, but both she and Pauline Parker saw it as an act of war against them. So uh. disregarding all the divorce and what that looked like and the health, they thought in their minds that, oh, people just want to separate us. How old are they at this stage? Around 15, 16. Okay, yeah. So now what we're talking about next, at around 16 years old, the girls were becoming hysterical at the possibility of being separated against their will. So they planned to go to South Africa together and then head to America to become world-famous writers. Okay. But it turns out the major impediment to this dream they decided was now Parker's mother, Honora, and whom had expressed her concerns of the closeness and thought her daughter was too young to be travelling at that age, which is kind of fair. Yeah. 
So in the background, they began planning on how they could get rid of this so-called obstacle of theirs. Her mum. Yeah. So now we head to the terrible event. Now, just building it up a little so you can shiver in your timbers at home, but what I'm about to describe remains on one of the most notorious events to occur in New Zealand in the past century and catapulted the terror around moral panic, especially regarding the supposed inherent darkness of young women at the time, that all young women all of a sudden have this evil and darkness within them. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. I know. It is. I'll keep going. (laughs) Okay, okay. So on the afternoon of June 22nd, 1954, Pauline Parker and Juliet Holm had afternoon tea at a tea kiosk in Victoria Park in Christchurch with Parker's mum, Honora. There, after their tea, they then decided to go through the, for a walk through the park itself. Oh. Pretty nice. Uh, unbeknownst to Honora, the girls had planned this and were already wielding an old silk stocking with half a brick inside. And in a wooden area around 100 metres or so down the main path, the girl suddenly began bludgeoning Honora to death. Oh, gosh. Unfortunately, they succeeded in killing Honora. Now, as you can imagine, it took many heavy blows to complete the murder. And also, as you can imagine, the girls were covered in blood. Oh, Gosh. So shortly hereafter, I'm not too sure what the girls were planning, but they fled back to the nearby tea, tea kiosk where they were just sitting moments ago and they proceeded to tell the shop owners rather performatively that the Parker's mother had actually fallen and hit her head. Oh. So I don't know what they were planning. Like, you know. Oh, no, this is why 16-year-olds should not commit crime. No. or anyone. I mean, no, no. Yeah, anyone in that. <laughs> you are not, not advocating for <laughs> you must be 18 before yeah. you commit your crime. <laughs> the tea owner, Kenneth Ritchie, was already pretty sus. And he was like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, the girls were covered in blood and just something didn't feel right. So did he spill the tea to the cops? <laughs> he does later. But here he was actually the first one to then run into the path and ultimately first discover Honora's dead body. Oh. Richie could immediately see that Honora was covered in major lacerations around her head, neck and face and minor injury to her hands and fingers, which were then later noted as defensive wounds. Clearly not a fall. Yeah, clearly we don't just like like fall that way. Like you said, Richie immediately alerted the police and spilt the tea Mm. um, and there was absolutely no way this could have been a fall. So Mm. police soon discovered it was pretty easy for them to do so, but the murder weapon in the nearby woods where the girls had obviously tried to dispose of it and almost as quickly as the attack took place, it was as quick as their story fell apart with the police. You know what I'm thinking? Probably for, like, kids back then, they never got to see, like, SUV Mm. or not SUV or CSI CSI or any of the documentaries we've seen. So they probably don't know as much as we do now, the youth of today do about covering up crime. Like, we're all, we always think, oh, rub your fingerprints away and all of that sort of stuff. And they just thought, oh, I'll just toss it in the woods. Who goes in the woods? Yeah. I mean, that was 1954. There's probably even not many that not that many crime movies at the moment. Hey, or at least what they, they'd see. So now we talk about the aftermath. The media frenzy erupted from the moment the case was made public. The newspapers made note of the grotesque evidence and discovered that it was actually discovered in the girls' diaries as well as their supposed 
in quotation marks here, lesbian passions. Mm. So, and you note that I haven't really mentioned much of this um, sort of the same sex element to these two, just because there wasn't actually much evidence of it other than other people's fears of it. So we'll touch on that a little bit later. The defense case rested on having both girls declared not guilty by reason of insanity, which the court actually shut down after having them declared sane enough to stand trial. So the question surrounding them was reduced simply to two things. Are they mad or are they bad? (laughs) And that wasn't me. That's not my bad writing. That was literally in the media at the time. It's insanity if... Like, isn't it? It's really hard to prove insanity, obviously. But but because they tried to hide the weapon, that shows that they know it was a bad thing to do. And somewhat of an element of premeditation that they brought the silk stocking and that the motive was so that they could be together. They they got rid of an obstacle. Although I guess you could still be insane because you're lacking reason to be like, that's not an appropriate course of action. But like you said, them forecasting consequence they hid the murder murder weapon so the public consensus was that parker and holm were either psychologically broken creatures or evil lesbian temptresses so this is just crazy and tagline yeah the pair were infamously described as dirty-minded little girls oh it's a bit of the fetishism of young women in the media that's reflecting their own little bias, like if you ask me. Mm. But you can imagine that the media was going absolutely nuts at the time for both the lesbian element and the insanity part. And also, and the so-labeled lesbianism was actually baked into the cases of both the prosecution and the defense. And the defense counsel, Brian McClellan, said, well, the problem was they both confessed to it and the only defense we had was insanity. And how could we find the two of them insane? So like everyone was noting that they were actually behaving really normally. They, um, you know, confessed to it. So the defense was like, well, we can't go with much. But then this chap, and this is a quote from him, this chap, Reginald Medlicott, came um, along with this wonderful idea that they could have folly ado. Mm. So they went with that. And they really leaned into that as well with all the symptoms we had in our case back in June. Um, And had they been found not guilty by reason of insanity, the chances are that they would have been incarcerated indefinitely in a psychiatric hospital, so maybe for the rest of their lives. So it wasn't actually a good plea to plead insanity. Quickly remind everyone in one or two sentences, Folia, what is Folia do? Yeah, good one, Greg. Um, So Folia do is in a French word for madness of two, where two people via either proximity or other factors in their background or genetics are predisposed to falling um, under the element of delusion. So if someone has a delusion that, oh my gosh, we need to kill our mum or whatever it is, the other one can easily be susceptible by that. So a primary and a secondary are involved um, and they a lot, their emotions, behavior, and their thinking is guided by the delusions, and it's like two of them. We used the case of the Joker and Harley Quinn mm. um, as to be like a quick one to think of that. So, But it's only when they're together and when they're separate they're back to normal, Some, right? In some cases the delusions disappear after separation, and in other cases it can stay and impact the other person's life. But we remembered that when – they're separated or the threat of separation, psychologists are like, oh, no, you can't do that. It's very dangerous because they then develop either self-harm tendencies or homicidal tendencies. Which is what we've seen here. Which is what we've seen here. Now, 
This is actually known, um, if you're really profiling this, as matricide, which is the killing of the matriarch of the family, which if you look at the stats on this, this is, this is a bit of a tangent here, ladies and gentlemen, guys and dolls, but matricide is very rare to happen by two people, especially under the age of like 18 or 21. So I think that one of the articles I looked up was a US stat. Um, it usually happens by one perpetrator and it's usually an act of passion. So immediately in a moment, like an argument, and it's usually they're older, they're an adult, and it's been Is building it people that time. kill their moms. That's yeah. right. Yep, that's right. Oh, that's cool. Anyway, so we'll go, we'll go back. So again, like they said, if they were in, so again we go back. So if they were in, uh, you know, pled as insane, they would have been in a psychiatric ho- hospital and receiving um, treatments such as for the time for homosexuality was a prefrontal lobotomy. Oh, if you've seen American Horror Story, you that's just don't. What she yeah. does. Oh, crazy. Um, and so this was actually considered the best choice for the defense, um, from the defense, and a not guilty verdict that allowed them to serve their time and just move on with their lives. So no surprises here with all the media and everything like that. It only took the jury under two and a half hours to reach their verdict. Wow. Both yeah, really quick, really mm. snappy. Both Parker and Holm were then found guilty of murder. Now, this is pretty creepy, but a 1954 news reporter noted that after the verdict was delivered, Parker looked across at Holm and whispered something and then they both eerily smiled. Ooh. That's a bit scary. And there's lots of what we'll do is post on our Instagram the photos of them walking out of court and things like that. It's just creepy because they're 16 and they did this. It's just icky. Yeah. As minors, they were actually too young to be considered for the death penalty. And get this, both only spent five years in prison before being released to live under new identities, still under the watchful eye of the New Zealand um, justice system. Why? Because I was 16 when they... I think so, and that was like the the law at the time. So pretty crazy. But more into that, so Juliet Holm served her sentence at Mount Eden Prison in Auckland, and some sources say that they were released on the condition that they would never contact each other again. Mm. But the Secretary of Justice told journalists that there was actually no such condition. So we don't know, and heaps of the articles say that's a, a fact, and lots say no, it was just to have the, this idea that they were like, oh, they were lesbians and all of that and they were playing into it. Well, you would think that once you've been to prison, you've paid your dues right. I mean, that's that's the whole idea of like if you must believe in the justice system, then you must believe that the punishment and consequence is to rehabilitate an individual. Mm. I mean, this is what people say when you – we're not going to step into it, but the whole capital punishment thing is that it's supposed to deter crimes and that we must believe that – Prisons aren't made for profit. No, 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 no. They're made to hopefully rehabilitate and to guide people not to commit crimes. Mm. So in that case, if you believe in that, you believe that their five that their crime and their punishment was enough to fit the crime and that they must be rehabilitated. And I think the idea is that those minors, 16-year-olds or under 18 in our country or under 21 in maybe some others, that they still are learning and have the ability to rehabilitate. I don't know. Yeah, so, but then I agree with it in some cases than in other cases. Like, you same. know, like sex offenders. Oh, same. It's so problematic, but I agree. I'm and then the like maybe some teen who got in wrong with the wrong crowd who robbed when yep. they were like 16. Yep. 
you know. Yeah, I or like the deserve. barbaric pre-planned nature of some types of crimes. Yeah. yeah. It's so hard, but maybe we'll talk on another episode about it. But Hume was released unconditionally and she actually immediately rejoined her father, who was actually in Italy at the time, but um, we'll follow her a little bit later, while Parker was placed on six months parole in New Zealand after she left the country. So after which from she was in six months from New Zealand and then she decided to leave the yeah. country. This whole murder was actually the catalyst behind a special committee on the moral delinquency in children and adolescents, which sparked a whole government report, again, like what was saying about evil women or whatever, mm. on this moral shift of the new generation of adolescents. Mm. So a new kind of moral panic. And that actually was found all around the globe as well. And then we fast forward. So this is 54. We fast forward to 80s and 90s where it was like the satanic panic. Yeah. So it's like this generation of adults can't at all come to grips with maybe their parenting, maybe their, you know, the government and the wars around them. They're not the things that are driving our children to act. No, it <laughs> must be this, you know, unworldly sort of evil that's possessing their children. Yeah. So where are they now? Following her release from prison, Parker was given a new identity as Hilary Nathan and spent some time in New Zealand under close surveillance. Again, like I said. Can I just say weird flex to have first name Nathan as a last name? Yeah, I know. Like a double name. It's yeah. really bizarre. Sorry if anyone has that. Yeah. But she chose it. Yeah, so it's hers. Or maybe the government did. I don't know how that works. Mm. Um. But from at least 1992, she was living in a small village near Kent and running a children's riding school. As an adult, she became a devout Roman Catholic. And while she has never spoken to the press, in a 1996 statement released through her sister, she expressed strong remorse for killing her mother. Which one's this one again? This one's Pauline Parker, the dark eyes, darker hair. Yeah. Her sister further stated that Pauline committed, so quote, Pauline committed the most terrible crime and has spent 40 years repaying it by keeping away from people and doing her own little thing. After it happened, she was very sorry about it and took her about five years to really realise what she has done. Okay. So after her release from prison and as we mentioned, sorry, just, just back on Pauline a bit before I go into Juliet, it's interesting that we find these people so they she was very susceptible to folly ado where she needed a companion whether the primary or secondary that to sort of bond with these people then find themselves as devout religious followers not saying that you have to have some illness to make you such a devout to follow a religion not Mm. at all but you find these people then susceptible to cults or following something so um, operationalized for them Mm. it's like a predisposition to belong to something yeah anyway um but so now we go to Juliet. so after her release from prison as we mentioned she went with her father to italy but thereafter hulm also spent time in england and the united states let us later said in Scotland and becoming a successful historical detective novelist under her new name, and some people might know her, Anne Perry. So, and also she had become and herself volunteered as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so Mormon, since yeah. about 1968. Right. So again, both of them sort of belong to a group. Mm. It's wild, but for a period of time, both women were actually living in Scotland, unbeknownst to each other, but absolutely no attempts were made to contact each other ever. So until around 1994, it was unknown that 
Anne Perry was actually originally Juliet Hume. And oh. But I tell you why that we all found out about this because in 1994, New Zealand director, the famous Peter Jackson, perhaps you heard of him? Peter Jackson. No, 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 no doll. The, the movie director of Lord of the Rings, perhaps oh, you've heard of it? Yes. <laughs> and he released the movie Heavenly Creatures, which was actually based on Parker and, and Hulme. And this stirred about up a bit of global interest again. Yeah. Guess what? So it actually stars Melanie Linsky as Pauline Parker. So that's the actress who is the neighbour on Two and a Half Men, the girl that always jumps the fence. Oh, uh, yes. I think she's in the new series Yellow Jackets, which I haven't watched because it's too scary. Um, but also Kate Winslet starred oh. as Juliet Hume. How have I not heard of this before? Don't know, doll. Just uh, hot press on TTKG, the movie released in 1994. <laughs> You're hearing it here first. <laughs> 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 Nearly, you know, 30 years later. <laughs> so back then it actually riled a stir and then people were like, well, where are they now? And they found out that it was Anne Perry. So and and so she became like a really, really successful author. And get this, in March 2006, Hulme or Anne Perry stated that while her relationship with Parker was, was obsessive and she noted to that, they were not actually lesbians or lovers. Yeah, well, I don't know what to believe because now they're both part of real big religious groups so, in the 90s, so yeah. who knows. But. You know, well, let's take a word for it. Yeah, I mean, none of the articles ever said, oh, we saw them, you know, having acts of love where they were maybe showing affection. No one ever saw that. And there's not a problem with it. But I just wonder how much of it was the stigma around it and it yeah. built this sensation around them. Yeah. So Anne Perry herself, just a bit of it, she was a little bit more public but didn't really want to com comment on the murders. And she wrote so many books her publicists and her management actually said it was almost machine like how fast she wrote these books and she won a lot of awards as well wow yeah and she really turned her life around yeah um so their dream of actually becoming actors or not actors but writers and making up their own world to somewhat was somewhat fulfilled yeah and it was kind of like do you remember the gibbons twins that we mentioned where one ultimately perished not not mm. a spoiler if you haven't listened to it yet but the other one then ultimately lived her life as she normally would. Thrived. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like this here. Both of them still don't want to talk about it um, and still prefers to keep that part out of the limelight that Anne Perry now writes under. And Hulme or Juliet Hulme or Anne Perry actually died this year on 10th of April at the age of 84. Oh. I know. But then, look, it sounds like we're sympathetic. They were mur they murdered a woman. Yeah, I'm a still woman. a bit dirty that they only had five years prison. Same. Yeah. That's not. doesn't sit right. Like, what's five years you took away a woman's life? Yeah. You know? But then Pauline Parker, or as she goes by now, as you know, Hilary Nathan, is still alive at the age of 85 years old. And that's the end. Wow, that's cool. Folie do. Yeah. I'm keen for um Joker and Lady Gaga, the Folie do movie. Yeah. Me too. Me too, doll. Well, hope you like the first episode in July, everyone. Yeah, and from TTKG, we're going to say TTYL. And chat to you soon, everyone. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Have you got a terrible story of your own? A connection to true crime or something terrible? Write to us at ttkgpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know who you are, where you're from, and whether the story and names are safe to share on the podcast. 
feel free to tell us if you wish to remain anonymous. We would love to hear from you and we would love to share your terrible tales with our listener friends.